know the, the psalm we're going to be looking at today talks about he who goes to the Lord. The King James Version says, in the secret place. And uh, we were ushered into the Lord's presence. <laughs> and we all got to, in a corporate community just now, experience the sweetness and the love and the grace of God in that secret place. What a gift. And there will be a temptation that you may feel. There will be a, um, the enemy will want to tell you that what we just experienced and God willing will continue to experience throughout this service is just, well, yeah, that's then and there. But that's not what you experience out there. And the psalm we're going to look at today says that wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing and whatever you're facing, there is a secret place. There is a secret place in a public place where you will find refuge and strength and help and healing and hope and joy and peace. And that God has opened the door. He has removed the veil and he intends for his sons and daughters not just to visit such a place, but to dwell in this place. But uh, I have wrestled a bit this week as I have come to the conclusion that that is God's will for us as his people. But so many times I run the other way. Or so many times I, I miss this invitation. And, and I don't know how you feel about being invited to a place. Sometimes uh, there is just conflict in schedule, so you can't go when you're invited to spend time with someone. Uh, but you know, someone may get a little bit of a, uh, how to say it, a, fear, a feeling of rejection uh, if there's a continual invitation given and a continual decline and rejection and no thank you or I don't have time. You know what Jesus says? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, heavy laden, Stressed out, anxious, pushed to the max, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls with me. And uh, sometimes, I tell God when I hear him inviting me into that space, God, I know you're there. 
I know you're always going to be there, but right now, I got a lot going on, and I am really anxious, and I am really stressed out, and I don't have time to enter into that secret place. And God says, Stephen, okay, but there's no life apart from me. There is no help without me. There is no healing in all the other places you're going to go. That may be you today, stressed out, anxious, worried, concerned, afraid. And Jesus' invitation to you, even though you maybe have declined and rejected and said no multiple times, he still keeps on asking. Guys, face it, like, we are not like that. You know, we have phrases like, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We have this, well, I'll ask one or two or three or maybe seven times, but then I'm done. His mercy, his grace, his persistent love for us never, ever ends. What's crazy is the secret place that we're going to talk about today Um, is the best place we can be, but it is the place that God wants us to most be. He is most excited whenever we come home to that spot and that place. So let's read about it, Psalm 91. And when we are able to dwell in that secret place, Everything that life and sin and selfishness and Satan throw at us, and guys, all of those things are going to throw a lot of stuff at us. Dwelling in that secret place will give us a strength and a resolve and a protection no matter what else happens in life. Psalm 91, here we go. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. 
You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray again. Father, we need you to come and reveal your word to us by your spirit, and we know that you are eager to do just that. So thank you, Jesus, that you sit before the Father now and you pray for us so that we would get it. Help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, I think for some perhaps good reasons, uh, paparazzi kind of have a bad reputation. They find a famous celebrity type person and they do anything and everything they can to try to get pictures, video. They, they, they're stock worthy sometimes. Uh, and they're hired, I guess, to do that. And then they can sell their pictures and what have you. Uh, those are paparazzi. And then there's just fans, okay? Like you just fell in love with some celebrity or sports person I think I've confessed before that when I was growing up, blues hockey player, number 16, Brett Hull was my hero, and I had a haircut like Brett Hull, and people in middle school actually nicknamed me Brett, which has nothing to do with Steven, it's just the fact that he was my hero, and I made a poster every single time that he scored a goal, and he had two years there where he scored 72 goals and then 86 goals. And it was like after every game, I had to make a new poster with the tally of how many goals he had scored. I was borderline obsessed with Brett Hull. Why? He could do something I admired. He was heroic on the ice. Not sure about off the ice, but we won't go there. He had a skill that was incredible. You know what the psalmist writes here? And we actually don't know who wrote this psalm. The one right before it was written by Moses. Most of the psalms were written by David, but we don't actually know who wrote this one. But if you pay really close attention as you listen to this psalm, the writer of this psalm is obsessed 
with the hero, the one who saved his soul. And I went all out and I went public with the fact that Brett Hull was my hero growing up. And sometimes I go all out and go public with the fact that Jesus is my hero, the lover and redeemer of my soul. But for some reason, I don't make a new poster every time he shows up and does something great in my life. Why not? And what if he invites us to do that? In verse 1 of Psalm 91, we have some language that's pretty powerful. The ESV says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. When Jesus walked the earth in John chapter 1, John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist had been preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. And after that, two disciples, which they think are probably Andrew and John, kind of stalk Jesus. Not for paparazzi purposes. I think it's more out of curiosity. And eventually Jesus turns around and asks them, what do you want? And they kind of, I think, stutter over their words. And they say something like, where are you staying? I think Jesus looks and smiles and goes, yes. That is one of the reasons why I've come so that human beings who have been created in the image of God and loved before the foundation of the world would ask me, where are you staying? Because I want to be with them. So Jesus doesn't tell them the address, which I think is so important. You know what happens when I have an address? I feel like, you know what? I got the address I've got Google Maps. I can come and go as I please. But Jesus in John chapter 1 says, come and see. What Jesus is asking John and Andrew to do, follow me. I'm not going to tell you where I'm going to stay because the answer to where I'm going to stay does require you to actually follow me. And the other thing I've discovered about experiencing life with God is he likes to move. He doesn't often stay in the same place for a really long time. I had a, a, a brother that's is a part of our church family, and this was like a long time ago, eight years ago maybe. And he had this incredible encounter with God during a worship service. And he was so amazed by it that he actually confessed to me that he decided, wow, okay, I want to experience God that way every single Sunday. So he began to think, what time did I wake up? What did I have for breakfast? What clothes did I wear? And what door by which did I enter the building? And he tried to recreate all of those things. He said, man, that was a major letdown. 
It didn't work. Because God is always on the move. And we need to continually be thankful for how we've experienced God in the past, but always be ready to say and always be ready to ask Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you staying now? Where are you staying today? Sometimes we get ourselves into trouble because we think we understand God. And that it's like this math equation and it's worked a hundred times. So now we just know how to mathematically figure it out. And God says, no, I want you to dwell with me. Which is a little different between where are you staying? If I ask somebody where are they staying versus where are they living? It's a different question, right? So what we've experienced today, which has been super special, God doesn't just want you to visit his presence. He wants you to dwell in his presence. And we gotta figure out, okay, what does that mean then? How do I do that? How do I dwell in the presence of God? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about some ways that that works. But before we do that, I want to see something that happens, which is an overflow of what takes place when we do dwell in God's presence. If you look at verse 2, the psalmist says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And we got to witness this because, and, and guys, for the words that Nick spoke about, this is not some evangelistic message. This is truth. And I am telling you this personally from my own life. When God gave him those words to share, they were the fruit of him spending time dwelling in that secret place with God. Because when you dwell in that secret place with God, the impersonal becomes personal. You don't just say God. You say my God. You don't just say refuge. You say my refuge. You don't just say fortress. You say my fortress. That this has become so personal that it's moved from head to heart. And now I'm living out the reality of these truths. I know that I know that I know. Because I know the one who knows it all. Um, so that's the fruit of where it goes. But... Dwelling in that secret place, we have to ask ourselves, does that mean that we have a force field of protection to where nothing will hit us that's bad? Um, Super Mario Brothers back in the day, you know, when you got a star from Mario, the music got fast and it only lasted about 20 seconds, but you were supposed to go as fast as you could because no enemy could attack you because you had that force field, but actually you could still fall on those bottomless things. You still had to jump when you were Mario. That is the only thing that could kill you when you had a force field. So the question is, is Psalm 91 that force field star 
where nothing will touch us. Well, one reading of this can seem to indicate that that might be the case. If you look at verse 3, he's going to deliver you from the snare of the fowler. What is the fowler? It's a representation for the devil. And a fowler was a bird catcher that had these traps and he was secretive and seductive and it found ways to get actual birds to kind of contribute as like bait. There were all these sneaky ways that someone who caught these birds would try to get the birds. But guys, guess what? Does dwelling in that secret place mean we're never going to get attacked by Satan? Or the next one, from the deadly pestilence. Guys, deadly pestilence could be physical sickness. It could be soul sickness. Does that mean that Satan and sickness will never come our way because we have the Super Mario Brothers star of force field? Let's keep reading. He will cover you with his pinions. Guys, I don't think anybody says pinions. It's feathers, okay? This is the picture of a, a bird with its feathers and wings protecting you. It doesn't mean Satan won't attack. It doesn't mean sickness might not come, but it means when those things take place, you have cover. You have protection. You have a refuge and a strength. You have, in fact, if you go on, 24-7 protection in verse 5 and 6. The, you will not fear the terror by night, the arrows that fly by day, the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or the destruction that wastes away at noonday. God's got your six. He's got your back. But getting your back doesn't mean that you won't sometimes be inflicted and harmed and hurt. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And I think that it's interesting that this is a psalm, and some of you guys know this, and for others of you, this is going to blow you away. Satan quotes this psalm. I'm going to skip down just a little bit, kind of out of order here, but I track, you guys, you guys can track with this, I promise. I hope, I'm praying. Verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What a great promise. And guys, guess what? It is a promise. God has commanded his angels concerning every child of God. But notice, it's God who commands the angel, not the angel, okay? Don't get this mixed up. You don't talk to angels. God does. You don't pray to angels. God commands his angels. 
And when angels show up and people bow down because they're scared, number one, and two, they may be amazed and in awe and try to worship the angel, the angel immediately says, what are you doing? Get up, don't worship me, worship the one who sent me. It is impossible for Christians to worship, speak to, or pray to angels. Don't do it. God commands angels concerning us. But if God commands angels concerning us, what's this look like and how does this play out in our lives? Second Kings 6, I mentioned it last week, Elisha and his servant are surrounded by a human army and in the midst of the human army, Elisha is dwelling in the secret place and the servant is not. And Elisha asks God, God, open his eyes so that he will see what's really here. And God answers that prayer. And the servant sees an army of angels surrounding Elisha and the servant. I have read stories of brothers and sisters in Christ and countries where Christianity is against the law and people are persecuted for their faith. And I have read stories and I have heard from people that I trust that have been on the mission field who have testified to people who have actually experienced supernatural protection in the midst of persecution, okay? People taking this big two by four to somebody to hit him and right before it hits him, there's like this invisible brick wall and the two by four breaks and then all of a sudden the person who's trying to attack the Christian looks up, screams and runs the other way. And the missionary is like, God, thank you. There's a story that Billy Graham shares about a missionary that uh, a church was supporting and there were about five or six people in the church that were playing golf on a golf course and one of the guys said, hey, uh, we're supposed to go to the church and pray for protection for our missionary. And one of the guys like, can we do that after the golf game? He's like, no, I don't think so. I feel like this is urgent and we need to go immediately. They go to the church They pray, it's nighttime where the missionary was. He was moving with medical uh, uh, medicine and drugs and to help people that were sick. And he was on the road and there were people who were going to basically rob him, mug him, steal from him. And later those guys that had intended to do that found him and said, hey, We don't know what happened, but here's what we were gonna do. We were gonna jump you and steal your stuff. And surrounding you, there were six angels. Like, just you just had this force field. Scared us to death. We didn't touch you. And later we decided we're gonna ask you, who is the God you serve? That missionary was testifying to that when he came back to the church. And you know what the golf buddies did? They started elbowing each other. And then they said, wait, on this day, we stopped our golf game early and we came and we prayed. 
Amazing stories, right? But can I share with you some other stories that go the other way? How about a Bible person by the name of Joseph who goes through the middle of his life with some really not so good things happening? He's given dreams. He's going to be great. His brothers don't like the fact that he's going to be great. And they sell him into slavery. He is falsely accused of doing something he didn't do. And he is put in prison. Doesn't sound very fun. For years and years, he suffered. And at the end of those years, when the famine comes and the brothers are revealed, Joseph is able to say, what you intended for evil, God meant for good for the saving of many people. Guys, sometimes God delivers us in the here and now, like the missionary experiences that I shared. Sometimes God will let us go through things because he has a bigger picture than you and me. And we just need to own and acknowledge the fact that you and I like pleasure and comfort and control and power often more than we trust Jesus. And whenever we think about suffering, our typical prayer is, God, don't get me through this. Get me out of it. I prefer not to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I would prefer to bypass the valley of the shadow of death. There will be things in this life that you and I will experience. Some of the persecution and suffering we face, guess what? We brought it on ourselves because we are often selfish and sinful and don't make good choices. But sometimes, book of Job, okay? How would Job read Psalm 91 in the midst of his persecution and suffering? You know, Job's friends, they came to him and they thought that Christianity was crack the equation code, right? And they said, well, Job, you must have done something. We understand it's hard to confess, but we love you no matter what. But confess what you did wrong, and then God will stop afflicting you. And Job's like, I, I, I didn't. But Job grew in his faith. And Job, I believe... At the end, especially when God spoke to him, would be able to give a hearty amen to every single one of the verses in Psalm 91. Psalm 91 highlights a protection that supersedes our circumstances. And it highlights a protection that is no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what man or sin or Satan may do to me, I have a secret place where I have access to a God who will never ever let me 
go. So there will be things that we will lose in this life. And we will have heartache in this life. But the very thing that will never, ever be able to be taken from us is permanent. So this psalmist can say, guess what, guys? My God, my refuge, and my fortress, a thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it won't come near you. Look at verse eight. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. You know another word for recompenses? You will see the reward of the wicked. Now, guys, this is the kind of reward you don't want. There are some rewards that are good. But the reward of the wicked is judgment will come on them. Wicked defined here is one who continues to stiff arm God and despite God's continual invitation says, no, God, I got it on my own. And there will be judgment poured out for that person. So Satan tells Jesus, hey, if you really are the son of God, then you should claim this verse. God will command his angels concerning you. You can jump from this high tower. Your feet won't hit the rock. And Jesus says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, What's happening here is Satan says, guess what? You can use God and his word as a means to an end for your own self-promotion. And Jesus says, no, I use my heavenly father and the word as a means by which my God is glorified. Not me getting glorified, but him getting glorified and I will trust the waiting I will experience the hunger I will experience the pain because I know at the end of the day guess what his angels are coming Matthew 4 6 Satan quotes the verse Matthew 4 11 after Satan strikes out and Jesus says no 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 and Satan leaves it says that God sent angels to minister to Jesus. We need obedience. We need trust no matter what. And so many things that Satan's going to throw your way and my way or sin or sickness or a fallen world is going to tempt us to say, no, I just want out of this. And Jesus says, I will tell you how to hold up in the midst of it, and this protection will be here for you. It's an eternal protection. It's an eternal security. And if you know that that secret place is despite any circumstance you go through, you'll trust in it. Two more things. If you look at verse 14, something changes. Verses one and two, you see I This is the one who testifies to the secret place. Then in verse three through 13, it's the word you. This is 
testimony where one who has experienced the secret place says, you should experience this too. And then verse 14, we hear the voice of God. God now speaks. Because he holds fast to me, because he loves me. Eugene Peterson in the message says, because he holds on to me with everything he's got, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Hold on, what? Not I will get him out of trouble. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Ultimately, guys, this psalm, Psalm 91, is a psalm about Jesus. Jesus is the only one that perfectly went to the secret place. Jesus is the only one that perfectly loved his heavenly father. And what did Jesus experience? He was bruised for our transgressions. He was beaten for our sins. He was mocked. He was persecuted. He was made fun of. He was put on a cross and died. But Jesus also gives a hearty amen to every single word in Psalm 91. In fact, he wrote it. What's that mean for you and me? For you and I, let's go back to verse three. Sorry, verse four. He will cover you with his pinions slash feathers. And under his wings, you will find refuge. Anybody out there a bird watcher? Sometimes. Guys, there is just this instinct within birds, especially in mother birds, to do whatever they can to protect their babies. This covering you with feathers, this protecting you in the nest is something that is just within nature and it provides shelter from the sun. It provides an umbrella when it rains. And if anything falls down, if the shadow of your wing is over it, it provides a protection and a strength. And then it says that God is also a shield and a buckler. A buckler is like a gigantic shield. He shields us. He's faithful to protect us. There's also a tender touch, guys. It's like a hug. Okay? And I, and I don't care how... If like you're a huggy person or you're not a huggy person, uh, say, you know, everything in the psychological world and in the scriptural world and just human nature, we need hugs. We need touch. Okay? There's, there's evidence done that basically in order to establish a secure attachment with someone, 
there are four core needs every human needs. Number one, you need to be seen. You need to be soothed. You need to know that you are safe and secure. If you look at that and pay close attention to those four core needs every human needs, those are four key things we give to every baby. And anyone who doesn't try to give those things to a baby is considered a bad parent or caregiver. The problem is we never grow out of that need. And Jesus knows that. So Jesus came from heaven to earth. And you know what he says? I see you. I see all of you. And I have come to soothe you. I have come to wrap my wing around you. To keep you safe and secure. About 10 years ago, there was a fire in Yellowstone National Park. And Tim Keller shares this story about park rangers that are looking at the damage of the fire. And at a certain point, they notice this bird that is like still standing at attention, but the bird is burned to a crisp. But it seems like the bird is just like at attention, just holding steady. And they were freaked out by it and they got closer and eventually someone knocked the bird that had been burned to a crisp away. And underneath the bird were three baby birds still somehow miraculously alive. Guys, Jesus is our substitute in addition to our comforter and our healer. When you put a wing, when you put an arm over someone else, in the midst of protecting them from the elements, the one you protect may stay dry, but at risk to you, you get wet. The one who puts his arm over you in the midst of heat and sun and fire does so knowing I will be willing to be burned in order to protect you. So we can say, a thousand may fall at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, but it will not touch us. And some of you may look and say, but wait, I get it. Jesus did all those things, but what about those things that I wrestle with? Jesus talks about that. This will be our final point. Luke 21. Hopefully I can find this. Let's try the other Bible. Jesus is preparing his people for what it's going to look like to walk out. Okay? And and we're going to walk out here in a little bit. And we're going to get hit with some arrows. And we're going to have some tough things happen. 
And in Luke 21, I'm going to read NIV. We'll start with verse 15. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Okay, this is when Jesus says, you're going to go out and you're going to testify to me. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Guys, the circumstances of our lives sometimes will be hard. And Jesus says, but you know what? In the midst of whatever, not a hair on your head will be harmed. How can Jesus give us that promise? Because the hairs on his head were harmed. It is this great exchange that Nick talked about. We give him all of our sin and he gives us all of his righteousness. So we have the opportunity to, in faith, come to a table and to be reminded that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us so that we would be made white as snow and healed. And guys, to be honest, I take that for granted a lot. I started thinking about it. I'm like, I take a lot of things for granted. I take for granted the love that my parents have for me, the love my wife has for me, the love my kids have for me, the love my friends have for me. Like, God, would you just give me a picture of a wing covering me so that I would know in faith that the things that could destroy my soul will never touch me because nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8. But as Nick said, you may be here today and God is impersonal and not personal. It's time to make him personal. And I say it's time to make him personal because it's what God says. I have come to seek and save those who are lost. And I have come to seek and save you. And uh, I have a brother that is home with the Lord now that felt like in order to get to heaven, you just had to be a good person. And uh, then all of a sudden, he opened up the Bible one day and said, Dear, his name. And all of us know this. Most of us know this story. So I'm just going to give props because he's one of those great witnesses in heaven now. He said, Dear Dale, I love you, Jesus. And in that moment, he realized it's not how good you are. It's how good God is and how much he loves you. So guys, he 
is covering us. If you're a believer, he is covering us with his wings. If you are not yet a believer, there is room for you under his wings to experience shelter and healing and salvation from the only one who can protect you from the things that will destroy your soul. There is life there. And guys, if you're feeling that, you can say right now, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and showing me that you love me. I want refuge under your wings. Would you save me, forgive me from my sin and protect me from the things that could destroy my soul. And if that's you today, guess what? It will be hard for you to contain what this psalmist can't contain. You will say, I said to my Lord, my God and my refuge and my fortress, he is the one who has saved me. And then there's this table where we get to come and experience his grace and his love and his mercy. So I wanna invite those who are gonna help serve communion to come. And first of all, guys, this call is to come under the shelter of his wings, to be wrapped under his feathers. He says, Jesus says, when he looks out at Jerusalem, 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 how long have I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers chicks? But you were unwilling and you didn't know the day where judgment and disaster was going to come your way. But for those who do know, the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and poured it out and said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. He saved us. He rescued us. He sheltered us under his wings. And he's coming back for all who take refuge under his wings. Take refuge under his wings today. Father, we ask that as we participate in this communion, that you would give us faith to believe that you protect us from the things that most damage us. You see us, you soothe us, and you keep us safe and secure from eternal harm. May our faith in you rise. And may we be able to say, like the psalmist, my God, my refuge, my fortress, in you I trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
something that we just sang. He is good. That doesn't mean that everything we go through here in this life is good. It means that the one who gets us safely home is good. And in the midst of the struggle and the pain and the difficulty, there is a secret place we can go to in the here and now. And we will be reminded of his goodness here and now. And we will experience his goodness forever and ever then and there. And we have brothers and sisters that are already then and there, and they're getting things ready for us. And uh, until we see face to face, he is good. That never changes. He is always good. Let's feel like today uh, we're going to receive a benediction, but the benediction that we receive, I invite you to participate in. Um, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer as we send out here. So, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. His kingdom is coming. If you are blessed by this, guys, they're going to be at the post Sunday night, next Sunday night, a week from tonight at 7 o'clock. And this group, along with our church and a lot of other people, we're praying for awakening and revival and renewal in our community. So uh, come and be a part of that.